Good evening. I'm Pastor Tommy Johnston. I want to welcome you to this service at Castleton Community Church. Would you uh, please join me in a word of prayer? Lord Jesus, we praise your name this evening. You've opened a way for us into the very presence of God. You've torn the curtain that is your flesh so that we can have access into the most holy place, into the very presence of God through you, our high priest. Jesus, we confess that no one else can give us such confidence to enter into the most pure of all places, the presence of God. We praise you this evening for this, Jesus. Jesus, even as we do that, our hearts have so many things that burden us. Things running through our minds, things weighing down our consciences. We bring them to you this week. We watch as riots continue in cities like Portland and Seattle. We remember how it was not long ago that it was our own city streets with unrest. We watch as the roller coaster ride of COVID-19 keeps it with its ups and its downs and all of the wreckage that comes along with it, teachers and families and kids with their lives being disrupted in real time. Jesus, there's so many things on the outside that trouble us and we bring those things to you. We ask you to remind us that you promised us not that we would have no trouble in this world but to take heart because you have overcome the world. And yet Jesus is not just on the outside where the problem lies. We recognize in our own hearts there is a problem, a problem on the inside of our sin. We know how easily our minds wander into worthless, impure things. We know how quickly our tongues spew out venom. They do harm instead of bring healing. We know how natural pride even self-righteousness is to us. Because even this week, we've seen many of those sins and many that I haven't named present in our own hearts. Jesus, we come to you again, asking you to sprinkle our consciences clean, to remind us that when you have set us free from sin and its power, that you do continually you do the work of reconciling us to yourself and restoring us to right relationship with you. Remind us that we are in your sight right now, pure, radiant, and holy, not because of anything we did, but because of everything you did. Would that reality spur us on to love and good works? Would we glorify you even as we live as strangers in this world? Jesus, we lift up our church family. We pray for our unity. We know there are so many things causing disunity in churches right now. And leading up into an election year, I know there are many more opportunities coming. Jesus, would you, we pray that even as we have been forced to be physically distant from one another for some time, that you would keep us close to each other, united in you. Remind us of our bonds of togetherness in the very spirit of God. We also want to lift up other gospel preaching churches. We're so thankful for churches like One Fellowship Church and Pastor T.C. Taylor. 
We ask you, as he asked us to pray, that you would grant them a special type of wisdom to know how to navigate regathering as a church, as well as being creative in their outreach during this COVID pandemic season. Would you give them creativity and wisdom to, be, to uh, execute the ministry you have called them to? And now, Jesus, we pray for our own hearts. As we come to your word, we ask for your help, that you would refine us, make us a little more like you, Jesus, even as we hear your word preached. Would you show us how you have furnished and finished our own hearts to serve you this day? We pray these things in your mighty name. Amen. So glad for us to be able to gather on our lawn like this. And we're going to continue our series through the book of 1 Kings. Tonight we're in 1 Kings chapter 7. It's a long passage, 13 through 51. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but we will read chunks of it as we go along. For now, we'll read 1 Kings chapter 7 and verse 51. That's 1 Kings chapter 7 and verse 51. This is what scripture says. Thus, all the work that King Solomon did on the house of the Lord was finished. And Solomon brought in the things that David, his father, had dedicated, the silver, the gold, and the vessels, and stored them in the treasuries of the house of the Lord. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Precious and I are friends with some missionaries that uh, just a few years ago went off to a spot in Europe. They had to figure out everything that came with living in a totally different country. Even though there were some similarities with living here in the States, it was quite an adventure. One that they weren't expecting, they found a good place to live, or the right rent, the right location related to where they'll be working and doing all the things in the neighborhood. But when they arrived, they found there was one catch. It turned out in this country, when you rent an apartment, you don't rent all of the stuff that goes in the kitchen. Uh, little things like the refrigerator, the dishwasher, even the cabinets. It, it turns out their standard of what a move-in ready finished apartment were are very different than what American standards are. As it turns out, you're not ready to live in a place. You're certainly not ready to do any sort of work in a place until it is both finished and furnished. That's what we see in this passage in 1 Kings chapter 7. King Solomon has build, been building a house, a house for his God, and he has spared no expense. He's used the finest wood he can find. He's used copious amounts of glittering gold, he has made this beautiful structure, awe-inspiring in beauty, and yet, until it is finished and until it is furnished, it is not ready for service. Now, you may ask, though, what, why is that so important for us today? I mean, after all, King Solomon's temple isn't around. It's been 3,000 years since it was. What, what's the point in us spending time hearing about how he finished and furnished the house for the Lord? Well, it's because of passages like 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9. 1 Peter 2, 9, I'll read it for you. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, 
that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. As First Peter, as well as other passages in the Bible teach, the temple is designed to teach us of how Jesus saves a people for himself from their sin and then turns around and equips those same people to serve him. If you are a Christian, then you have a heart within you that has been finished and furnished to serve King Jesus. And this evening, we will see three aspects of that finished and furnished heart that is within each and every person that has trusted in Jesus for their salvation. Those three things that are finished and furnished in our hearts are as follows. First, you have pillars of stability. We'll see that in verses 13 through 22. Pillars of stability. Second, you have an ocean of cleansing. An ocean of cleansing. You'll see that in verses 23 through 29. And then finally, you have all the equipment you need to serve. All the equipment you need to serve. That's in verse 40 through the end of the chapter. And in all of this, I hope none of us will leave this evening on the sidelines when it comes to serving King Jesus. That we would be confident that we have a heart that is finished and furnished to serve Jesus in all things. Let's begin with that first bit of equipment you have in verses 13 through 22, pillars of stability. We'll, we'll read the first two verses, verses 13 and 14. And King Solomon sent and brought Hiram from Tyre. He was the son of a widow of the tribe of Naphtali, and his father was a man of Tyre, a worker in bronze. And he was full of wisdom, understanding, and skill for making any work in bronze. He came to King Solomon and did all the work. Solomon knows that he needs lots of equipment and furniture for this house, and so he goes out and finds a master craftsman, a guy by the name of Hiram. Now, don't confuse him with King Hiram, from, back from chapter 4. This is a different guy. He is one half Jewish, and apparently God has given him a special gift to be able to make beautiful bronze in bountiful quantities. Uh, we're given a huge list of things that he makes. We don't have time to look at all of them. But undoubtedly, the two most prominent things he makes are two very prominent pillars. Those pillars are so prominent that they even have their own names. I don't know about you. I'm not in the habit of naming pillars. But apparently these two were well known enough that they could just say the two names, Jachin and Boaz, and people knew exactly what they were talking about. They were giant pillars with the capitals and all finished up. They would have been about 40 feet tall on the front of the temple. They were ornate. They had all sorts of decorative work made into them, and they stood on the entranceway as people would go into the house of God. What's most significant about the pillars, though, are the names. Uh, we don't think much about names today. Uh, I usually go by the name Tommy. If someone calls me Thomas or Tom, I'm not offended. Names are more of just a, an arbitrary label we use these days. But back then, names very often had very significant meanings, and both of these are no exception. That first name, Jakin, it has a, a meaning of strengthen or he establishes. Now, that's really significant because 
someone in Solomon's line, his father, King David, back in 2 Samuel 7, got a promise from God that God would establish a house for David. That same word, Jachin, was used, establish, for what God was going to do for Solomon's father, David, and establishing his uh, dynasty. So when we hear this term, Jachin, God establishes, we are to think of God establishing the kingdom of Israel under the Davidic king. This is a, means that anytime someone saw that pillar and said the name, they would be saying God did something that he promised to do. Dr. Phil Riken put it this way. He said it would be a little bit like a Christian today saying your kingdom come, your will be done. It's us acknowledging something God has promised to do and even as we say it, praying for him to do that very thing. The second name, Boaz, also is laden with meaning. Boaz might sound familiar if you know your Old Testament. Uh, he was the name, that's the name of Solomon's great, great grandfather. He was married to Ruth in the book of Ruth. Now the name itself, though, has a meaning of strength or by him he is made strong. Once again, that you can't help but think that people would interpret this as saying that the Davidic king Solomon is made strong by his God. That meant every time someone walked into the temple, or even if they just saw these two giant pillars, they would be reminded of God fulfilling his promise to bring his people into his place under the rule of his king. These pillars were standing monuments to God's faithfulness to fulfill his promises. So what does that have to do for us as Christians today? Well, I think each of us needs the reminder that God fulfills his promises, don't we? Doesn't that have a way of stabilizing your heart when you remind yourself? If God promised it, I can bank on it. It certainly is true. I think that's one of the reasons why the cross is such a fruitful point for us to focus on when it feels like everything else in our life is out of control. You know, you may be, maybe your job feels like it's on thin ice. Maybe your parenting doesn't feel like it went particularly well. Maybe the roller coaster ride of the stock market has you more than a little queasy in your stomach right now. Maybe the prospects for political future in this country don't have you very optimistic about the days to come. But brothers and sisters, does that change when you remember what the cross of Jesus tells you about God? Does that standing pillar of the place where Jesus bled and died and secured your eternal future, doesn't that change the way you go through all the ups and downs of life? As New Testament Christians, we have a pillar to stabilize our hearts when everything else is spinning out of control. I love that song we just sang a little while ago. For the Lord is good and faithful. He will keep us day and night. We can always run to Jesus. Jesus strong and kind. It turns out we need Jachin and Boaz we need the very cross of Christ to remind us of God's faithfulness if we are to be faithful servants to him. 
But it's not just stability our hearts need. We need something more, and that's where the second piece of finishing and furnishing comes in. In verses 23 through 39, we see the ocean of cleansing, the ocean of cleansing. I'll read verses 23 through 26. Then he made the sea of cast metal. It was round, 10 cubits from brim to brim, five cubits high, and a line of 30 cubits measured its circumference. Under its brim were gourds for 10 cubits, compassing the sea all around. The gourds were in two rows, cast with it when it was cast. It stood on 12 oxen, three facing north, three facing west, and three facing south, and three facing east. The sea was set on them, and all their rear parts were inward. Its thickness was a hand breadth, and its brim was made like the brim of a cup. Like the flower of a lily, it held 2,000 baths. Well, that is quite a big bath that Solomon had built for his temple. They refer to it as the sea, affectionately, I think. If you do the calculations, it's about 15 feet across, 8 feet deep of a burnished bronze bowl. It would carry apparently 18,000 gallons worth of water. Now, for a reference point, our baptismal over here, uh, we use only the, the best here at Castleton Community Church, our horse trough bap baptismal. Um, it, it has about 200 gallons in it. So quite a, a jump from 200 to 18,000. It's uh, pretty close to a, a medium size in-ground pool would be an 18,000 vessel, uh, gallon vessel of water. So I, I hope you are getting the picture. This is an, a very huge, imposing bra brass bronze bowl that is being used to hold water. But the question is, why? Why have this giant thing? Well, it's for one of the main lessons of the whole temple. And that is, only the pure may serve God. Only the pure may serve God. If you take the time to go through chunks of the Old Testament that teach us about all the different rituals and the requirements for the priests and the sacrifices, you, you would know that cleansing, ritual purity, is at the center of all of it. Uh, the animals have to be washed. The utensils have to be specially cleaned. The furniture has to be washed before and after. Even the priests themselves, they have to ritually wash if they are to go into God's presence, because God is a pure God. The sea was the place where the priests would go and wash off. It was their place for ritual purity. Now, that may seem kind of excessive. I don't know about you, but when I go and wash my hands or, or get, put some water on my face, I don't go and look for a whole swimming pool to do it. So what, what's the point of this? Well, the point of the overkill is to show us the magnitude of God's mercy toward sinners. To show us the overwhelming magnitude of God's mercy toward sinners. To show us just how deep the well of grace goes that can wash us clean as snow. Well, as Christians, we know this theme well, don't we? That Jesus was a man that came to purify the unclean, he came not just to give us a little dab of purification, but a whole deluge of it. He loved 
up lepers into purity, and he loved sinners like you and me, and that is at the center of who Jesus is and what he came to do. That's why in 1 John 9 we hear, if we confess our sins, he, that is Jesus, is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. One of the most important pieces of furniture that Jesus has placed in your heart is the vast ocean to cleanse you again and again that springs from his mercy. I love that song, His Mercy is More. There's a line in it. It says, thrown into a sea without bottom or shore, our sins they are many, his mercy is more. You see, brothers and sisters, the sea is here to teach us that we need to be cleansed to be in front of a holy God and that that provision of cleansing has been brought to us by the man, Jesus Christ. He didn't make it so we need a giant bronze bowl anymore to wash. Instead, he gives us water on the inside, bubbling up from our very hearts, a never-ending supply of water to wash us clean forever. I wonder if maybe you're here this evening and you find yourself feeling on the outside, sitting on the sidelines when it comes to serving Jesus. Oftentimes, the reason for that is because of shame. We know how often we fail to live up to our own standards and how much more often we fail to live up to God's standards. Even though we know we're forgiven by the blood of Christ, yet we have this nagging suspicion, he must be sick of me. That last time, this last week I messed up, that must have been the last straw. He must, maybe he won't keep me out of heaven, but he certainly doesn't want to use me on this earth. But brothers and sisters, if you understand the way your heart has been furnished and finished, you would know that there is a supply of cleansing water that Jesus longs for you to take advantage of, that he wants you to turn from your sins, yes, but he longs to restore you to the joy of fellowship, and he longs to see you serving him with joy. Now, if you're here this evening and you're not a Christian, this is one of the things that is hardest to understand for many people about the Bible. Many people think the Bible is a book full of good advice to help us be better, help us with self-esteem or self-improvement, give us a little bit of spiritual instruction to make us our best selves. But the Bible is much more concerned with a different question, not how do you become a little better, but how do you become right in God's eyes? See, the message of the Bible is none of us are right in God's eyes. The fact that we have rejected God as our king and lived for ourselves has dirtied our souls like a pig wallowing in the mud. No amount of scraping or trying to wash ourselves will get the filth off of us. And if we were to be brought into God's presence that way, we would deserve nothing but his punishment. But the good news is the mercy of God sent his very son, Jesus, to come and rescue pitiable, dirty sinners, to come and to give his very life as a sacrifice in their place. And as Jesus died on the cross, he secured the very thing that could guarantee your soul can be made pure, 
he secured forgiveness. The blood of Jesus means that if you put your trust in him, that God forgives you of every wrong thing you've ever done and every wrong thing you ever will do. God sees you no longer as a dirty rebel to his will. Instead, he sees you as a beloved son, a pure daughter, someone who is welcome into his presence. Later on in our service, we're going to have a baptism, which is a ceremony that is made to picture the very thing I'm talking about, the way that Jesus cleans a heart from the inside out. And if you have questions about how it is that happens or how you can be forgiven by God like that, come talk to me or any other Christian after the service. Well, there's one more piece of a set of equipment we need, and that's what we see in the third and final section of finishing and furnishing. That is all the equipment you need to serve. I'll read verses 45 through 47. Now the pots and the shovels and the basins and all the vessels in the house of the Lord, which Hiram made for King Solomon, were of burnished bronze. In the plain of Jordan, the king cast them in clay ground between Sukkoth and Zeranath. And Solomon left all the vessels unweighed because there were so many of them. The weight of the bronze was not ascertained. It turns out priests need their tools just like a good woodworker or any other sort of professional. They need stuff to do their stuff. So Solomon has made for them by Hiram a whole set of tools, shovels and uh, various bowls and carts and things to be used for all the different rituals in the temple. But as, as that's all being described, I love the fact that it said that there's so many of them, they didn't even bother counting. That, that gives you an idea to the scale of what was needed for their service to God. But there's an interesting shift that happens in verses 48 and 50. It stops talking about bronze, and it starts talking about gold. And it stops talking about the things Hiram made, and it starts talking about the things Solomon made. Now, what are we to make of that? I think one thing that we are supposed to notice is that the items that are used in the closest part of the sanctuary to God, in the innermost compartment, those all have to be made out of pure gold. Once again, proximity to God requires purity, and gold is the finest material available. Only gold will be fitting for being that close to God. Yet before we get go any farther, right, we need to pause and notice something. Even though gold is what's fitting for that up-close and personal ministry to God, bronze was appropriate for all the other ministry. And that communicates something really important to us. It turns out even the mundane, common things in life are meant to be used in service for God. As a Christian, I hope you want to do everything as if you are working for the Lord Jesus Christ. That whether you are a homemaker or a lawyer or a stock trader or a businessman or a pastor like myself, whatever it is God gives you to do, I hope you want to do it in service to Jesus. Sometimes we live as if there's this huge divide between the clergy, pastors, priests, and the laity, those people that are members of a church, regular everyday Christians. And yet if we understood what it means that all of us are priests to the holy God that made us all, 
then we would know that whatever we do in service to him is an act of praise and worship. Now, I'm not saying that there is not a space for people like me that for their job do, jo uh, do things like pastoring and preaching and praying. No, that's not what I'm saying. But I am saying that when you go to work on Monday, don't think that you are shutting off your service to God. You are serving him in the realm he has put you in. And if you do whatever it is you do unto the glory of God, it is a worship as true as the worship the priests in the temple Solomon built did. Now, what are we to do with all that gold? Well, let's read a, a couple more verses, verses 48 through 50. So Solomon made, Solomon made all the vessels that were in the house of the Lord, the golden altar, the golden table for the bread of presence, the lampstands of pure gold, five on the south side and five on the north, before the inner sanctuary, the, the flowers and lamps, the tongs of gold, the cups, snuffers, basins, dishes for incense, and fire pans of pure gold, and the sockets of gold for the doors of the innermost part of the house, the, the most holy place, and for the doors of the nave of the temple. Now, it would be worth our time to go through each and every thing named there, but I'm going to focus our attention on three of the pieces of furniture described here. Three pieces of furniture that describe for us how Jesus enables your heart to serve God today as a Christian. The first is the altar of incense. The altar of incense, which teaches us of the ministry of prayer. The altar of incense was a, a place where the priests would go into the temple. They would bring a, a good-smelling uh, uh, thing called incense that when it's burned, it would make smoke go up. They would smell very fragrant. As they did this, the priests would pray. The prayers were understood to rise up to God along with the smoke as a kind of symbol of those prayers going up. Now, as a Christian, all of us have access to the altar of incense that is prayer. If you are a Christian that has put your faith in Jesus, then when you get on your knees to pray, you have an audience with the king of the whole universe. Your prayers raise up to heaven like that incense raised smoke up to the ceiling of the temple. Jesus told you if you ask anything in his name, that he would not only hear you but answer you. And brothers and sisters, that is something that is a great responsibility and privilege. We should be, of all people, people that are on our knees praying, using that ministry of prayer that Jesus has opened up to us. The second piece of furniture is the bread of presence. There was a table, a golden table, where the priest would put a loaf of bread. After, before that bread would go bad, the priest would eat it. It was both a meal to be enjoyed in God's presence, kind of a fellowship meal, as well as reminding them of the way God had fed them in the wilderness with manna. Now, as Christians, from the bread of presence, we are to remember the ministry of the word. Jesus himself told us that he is the bread of life, that if we eat of him, we will never hunger and every time we come to the Bible, the word of God, and we have fellowship with Jesus by reading it and meditating on it and teaching it to others, every time that happens, 
we find Jesus actually sustaining our souls. This morning, our, the Johnston household really enjoyed watching Miss Loretta's uh, Bible study class, uh, going through the attributes of God. I, I love, love the work Loretta's doing on that. So clear, so helpful. Do you realize that you don't have to have a seminary degree or be a pastor or a missionary to do a ministry of the word? You could teach kids in Sunday school. You could just text people with verses that the Lord puts on your heart. You could use it in your counseling as you uh, give people advice, making sure that it comes straight from the Bible. As you do that, you are helping them to nourish their souls and you are nourishing your own soul. The ministry of the word taught to us in the bread of presence. The final piece of furniture, the lampstands. We're told there are 10 of them total. I imagine that the temple would have been quite dark without any illumination inside. But these golden lampstands would have given off a beautiful glittering glow, would have made the, the glory of the temple come out. What are we to take from the lampstands? Well, we certainly live in a dark world, don't we? A world that desperately needs the light of Christ. And as we put our attention on Jesus and try to see the world in light of him, something amazing happens. Jesus illumines our hearts and lets us see things as they actually are. We begin to understand our neighbors the way Jesus understands them. We begin to understand our own hearts the way Jesus understands them. And as we understand the world we live in and what Jesus has equipped us for, we find ourselves able to serve him no matter how dark it may get in the place and time we live. I don't know how discouraged you find yourself as you watch the news and think about what may come to our country over the next few years. But I hope you find encouragement thinking of your future, not in light over who's going to win an election, but in light of eternity and what Jesus himself has promised you. As Christians, we have that ministry of illumination, of seeing things as they actually are and serving Jesus, yes, even when it's dark out. Now, in all these things, I hope you've gotten the message. If you're here tonight and you are someone that has believed in Jesus to forgive you of your sins and, and you know that you are a part of his kingdom and you will be with him forever in heaven, I hope you will not sit on the sidelines when it comes to service to King Jesus. I hope you know that your heart has been finished and furnished with everything you need to serve King Jesus. In just a second, we're going to turn our attention to one of those works that Jesus has done through us, through members of our church, that we get to look at and say, Praise God for letting us serve him in this way. Jesus let us see someone come to faith in Christ in our church through intentional outreach by a member of our church, through lots and lots of conversations by people in our church. And now at the end of that journey, we get to celebrate with a testimony and a baptism. I hope as you see it, your heart will be encouraged Yes, Jesus does use people like us to serve him. And I hope maybe this week that that knowledge will spur you on 
to serve him with the heart that's been finished and furnished that he has given to you. Well, I hope you're excited. I've been looking forward to this day for a long time. Let's prepare our hearts with a word of prayer. Oh, Lord Jesus, thank you for the lesson that the house that Solomon built has for us as New Testament Christians, as those with the, that who have your spirit beating in uh, your spirit uh, present in our hearts, as those who have the giftings provided by your spirit and the calling to use the various gifts for ministry within the church. I pray you would help each of us not to give in to anxiety or guilt or feeling like we're not equipped with the right tools. Would you show us how you have finished and furnished our hearts? And would you give us confidence that, yes, you want to use us? I pray that the baptism that we are about to see and the, the conversion that it represents, I pray this would be the first of many, many more that we would celebrate in the weeks and months ahead. Would you grant us a great harvest of souls? Would you give us the joy of seeing people cleansed from the inside out by the blood of Jesus? We pray all these things in his mighty name. Amen.